0: My next guest is an extremely talented and intelligent individual. He began his career as a banker and economist and is currently a very successful venture capitalist. Please welcome Taj Ahmad Eldridge. Taj, how's it going?
1: Rodolfo how's it going man good afternoon
0: (laughs) good afternoon all right so venture capitalists I I think a lot of people have heard about venture capital firms venture capitalists but there's so many people that just do not really know what exactly it is so let's just jump right into it what do you do
1: yeah uh, well thank you number one for having me here Um, Mm -hmm. and a great question you know I, I think if I can put it in, in a very simple terms, uh, what I do is I take uh, a wealthy person's money and I take that money and I find fantastic companies to put money into. Uh, they can make a great return by building great products and our services. And, and the whole idea, I think, in our industry, the key word here is scaling because you could, you could put some money into small businesses, a store or what have you. Uh, but a store can't scale, which means multiply, multiply that that return or uh, the money you'll get back quicker than, say, tech companies or companies in that nature. So that that's typically what we do on a day-to-day basis there.
0: Okay. And now when you said you're finding these companies, can you kind of expound on that? How, how are you doing that? What are you doing to find these companies that you're investing in?
1: Yeah. Well, well I'm pretty lucky. I, I actually sit in what's called an incubator. Mm-hmm. uh an incubator and an accelerator are two different types of organizations that essentially if you think about it they're like schools for, for businesses or schools for entrepreneurs uh the differences mm-hmm. between the two uh an incubator think of that like a, a daycare center that's just there uh you know you you, you you're there for a longer period of time Think of an accelerator. Think of that like a, like a summer camp. It's a it's a limited mm-hmm. amount of time you go through. It could be two months, three months, a few weeks. Uh, but at the end of that that portion, you're you're there's an expectation for you to graduate and, and and be gone. And for me, sitting sitting in an incubator, that that gives me what's called deal flow, which is deal flow. Think of that as like access to uh, all these companies that we can look into to invest in.
0: Nice. Okay. Well, then, yeah. That's that's nice. You have a lot of the uh, potential companies right there in front of you. So 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 okay. So that answers that part of it. Now, as far as the investors or the wealthy individuals or, or companies or any any anything else that's investing, has given you this money, these funds. How do you go about that part of it?
1: To raise yeah, that's, funds. Yeah, that's that's the more difficult part. So what's interesting is that uh, the people who invest in these companies. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we're called VCs or venture capitalists. There are also some angels, and, and later on we can talk about the difference between the two. Um But just like the, the founders or the entrepreneurs that, that come to us and want to raise money, we have to go to others to raise money for, for us to invest in. Um, those people are called limited partners. And a lot of times you, you get them from previous relationships, just things if you've done. There are sometimes some events that you can go to that are sponsored by an organization called like the National Venture Capital Association that connect uh, individuals with others. Uh, there's actually a, a group uh, that I'm uh, on, on the advisory board of called VC Include. It's a membership-based organization that that people can go to if you want to raise a fund that will help you engage and find limited partners or investors as well. Sometimes you may get uh, pension funds like state pension funds, teachers pension fund, pension mm. funds they right. want to uh invest because they have to provide a re- retirement for their for their uh, members and so they they look outside they look at more than just the stock market maybe more than just real estate funds so they'll look to something like us uh to to kind of give uh, a, a bit of return in what they do as well
0: okay and then can you talk about how a, a venture capital um, a firm is is paid
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the simple part. I, I, the, the reason I love the industry is very simple. Uh, so the the you know if we take a round number, let's just take a, a round number like uh, ten million. Mm-hmm. Uh, the what we what we're paid is a, is a, a usual what's called two and twenty. Uh, and so what that means is that two percent of the ten million, uh, that's what we're paid uh, on, a, on an annual basis to manage the money. Uh, as long as that, that whatever amount of money is there. 2% of that. Uh, and then the 20 is 20%. 20% is what we get of any of the returns or the investment that's been realized from those investments. So, say, for instance, we invest the 10 million, uh, we get 2% of that as the quote-unquote salary, for lack of a better word. Um, and then once we make those investments, and typically, you know, you could think about in our industry investments last uh, I'm, a, I'm in what's called the seed stage and a round, which means we invest early on, and so you can expect that uh, that investment to realize or try to have some type of return between five and seven years. So after five and seven years, uh, the returns you get back, if you're lucky, you might come back earlier. You can get 20% of that, and, and that's where it could be extremely lucrative.
0: Nice. Okay. Great. And then. Uh, yeah I know people always think about the the huge companies that have had these uh, large IPOs or acquisitions but I know that's kind of or I'm guessing that's that's not the typical uh, type of uh, situation you'll see that' you're hitting more singles or doubles uh, is that the case or
1: yeah how is, yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah I, I, th- I think I think at this stage with where I'm at on the earlier stage it, you'll mm-hmm. see more acquisitions like for example, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the company Mira. It's a it's a, um, uh, a company that has that's a literal mirror and it's an exercise. You can look at it. It's been used a lot during COVID, but they were purchased. Oh, my God. I just forgot who they purchased by. They were just purchased by uh, Lululemon uh, mm. just recently. So. Those investors that were early investors there, they may not may not have rode their way to the IPO, but they were wrote the way to an acquisition that may have provided them a, ret- a return. Um, if we look at, you know, a company that's a black owned company, like a company called Bevel, B-E-V-E-L. Yes. That's a, that's a company by a good guy known as Tristan Walker. Uh, they were acquired by Walmart. So, you know, a lot of sometimes you might, have, you know, the the path to IPO can be relatively long. There, there have been instances where you've had some companies that, that made a really quick path uh, from from seed stage a to F- IPO. But typically, with, with my type of investments, we'll see some acquisitions as a way that we would get returns.
0: Got it. Okay. Now, can you talk about just a, a typical day uh, for you?
1: Yeah. Like yeah, How that yeah. would look like yeah yeah so so my day is a little bit different from from a traditional vc because i am in an incubator so I, there's a lot of buzz around me and, and particularly i'm in a sector called clean tech, and and what that what that means is that we we invest in uh, renewable energy so solar uh, energy distribution energy storage uh, we invest in electric transportation so you know a lot of times when people think of tesla I don't think of Tesla as a clean tech investment, but that's electric transportation uh, because it's not using any 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 gas or ICE, right. combustible engines. And then the last part of that that I'm really excited about because I've had some experience there in apparel um, is circular economy. And what circular economy means is that you're, you're taking a waste product or another product and you're reusing that for something else. So some examples include, uh, if you've ever wore some Adidas or Nike, they have some technology where you can take, where they're made out of ocean waste, so plastic bottles, and they turn those plastic bottles into a fiber that's turned into a shoe. We have a company in the incubator that takes wood waste. So when you're making tables or chairs, they have these shavings that you'll see on shop floors. They're taking that, put it into a process, and they're making the color black out of that. The reason why that's important is because typically, usually, the color black is made out of petroleum. Um, so, uh, so those are the sectors that 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 I invest in, and the day to day really looks like as such. You know, I, I get into the office uh, around nine, 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 closer to ten, and uh, you know, we have other people in the office that do a lot of different things uh, for companies. About fifty people at the facility. And, you know, my, my job really is to, to know what's going on in the market. I always say that, that, you know, for me, the best investor is a lifelong student. So I'm, I'm reading, uh, you know, what funds are out there, what investments have been made. As an example, right before our, our, our talk, it was just announced that the musician for Rail has just opened up a new fund. So a lot of that is what I do, kind of researching who's out there. And the reason I do it is because our fund is called, is really called a sidecar fund which means that we don't make lead investments we're not the first investor in we wait until someone else becomes the lead investor and then we follow after them uh, as like a sidecar if you think about it on the motorcycle um so so part of my my job in addition to that piece of investing in these companies part of the job is also to help find lead investors and so that's why i'm always talking to other investment companies other vcs other angels uh, be, give it, making relationships, calling, making deals with them, and then lastly, the rest of my day. And sometimes I may put on a class about fundraising, uh, either internally or outside of the office. As an example, today I did a class early this morning uh, for the University of Southern California on um, commercialization. So, what are the steps that you take if you're you're spitting out from the university and you want to start a company? And so my, my day is really kind of split up into those, those three things: uh, looking at companies internally for the fund, looking at other funds to complement our fund, and then lastly doing educational things on the fundraising side.
0: Nice. Okay. Wow. It seems you can do a lot in the, throughout the day. So, so with all that, you're you're going into events. You're you're talking to investment companies. You're you're on advisory boards also. You're what you're doing, what you're doing to find and select certain companies, and also having the knowledge of your industry. It seems like there's so many so many skills and characteristics that you would need, whether it's uh, building and maintaining relationships, understanding the markets, knowledge of your industry, and communication. Can you talk about what you think are some of the uh, more important skills and characteristics needed to be uh, successful in your industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure will. I, I think you know, I think I'll take that two ways, because the reason I'm doing this is because I think there are some general skills that you have that you mm-hmm. can have. But I think the, the best thing now about being a, an investor in uh, the 2020s is that, you know, the old ways of doing business is, is dead. You know, when, when you, know, you and I in, in, are in the same fraternity and there was this gentleman named Reginald F. Lewis when I was in high mm-hmm. school who I wanted to emulate. And he was the reason I even joined. And I never heard of private equity until I read about him. And he, he joined uh, and he was a lawyer and created this private equity fund uh, to start investing in companies. And, um, you know, I, in the, in the past, I used to think you have to be a lawyer uh, to get in this industry. Uh, I majored in poetry in, in college. I was a poetry major. Um, And when I graduated, I thought I was going to write for a newspaper, uh, but when I caught the bug for investing, I ended up working in a bank. I worked for Wells Fargo. Um, But but what I was really good at in in working for a bank was I was really good at telling stories. I was really good at at that piece from having that literature, poetry background. And what people tend to forget is that every product that we buy, everything that we engage in, every relationship that's built is about a story. Mm. Our religion, our nationality, our family, everything that's around us is story driven. And so when you think about that and you're and you're talking about those stories, when you're when you're selling people, uh, you you get you begin to kind of build great relationships. And I think that's one of the key things in ventures is to really have great relationship because it's so relationship driven and it's information driven. Um, I ended up going to, to to grad school. At uh, Pepperdine and in Claremont, and uh, focused on economics, and I think that was beneficial because it gave me a bit of the financial background, because you you will need to understand and have some type of knowledge of numbers, uh, because you know at the end of day, the day these are businesses, and so so the only way that you can kind of tell. Uh, what the business can do at this early stage, they'll give you what's called projections, and those projections are saying, you know, th- those are their financial documents, their financial stories, if you will, right. to say how they would do in the future. And so you, you're going to have to do a lot of analysis to understand if it's real or not, if, if this is, if this is, if this makes sense. The the interesting thing I think that people rarely talk about our industry is that there's a lot of failure. I mean, you know, the the companies we hear all the time that have these big IPOs, for every one of those, or a 99 that did not that did not make it, right. and, and in our industry we, we're we're hoping on that one would we'll take care of the 99 and more. So that's why that idea that we talked about earlier about scale is so important because if you know the 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 idea that we always talk about is 10x, right? And and 10x means that you you put a dollar in, you want to get 10 times that mm-hmm. uh, at the end of, at the end of that that time frame. So. You know, I, I think the, the, the two main skills to have, well, really three, is uh, a sense of inquisitiveness, always learning. Um, I wasn't always in clean tech. I got into clean tech about five years ago, but I studied it as if I was getting a PhD in clean tech. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the type of approach you have to take for right. everything that you touch. Um, I think you have to have some type of knowledge of numbers and, and understanding of financial documents. And I think lastly, you have to have a good idea to read people. Um, because you're dealing with people even though these are these are facts and figures behind it uh, companies are made and ran by people uh, so i think it's very important important to be able to understand and build relationships
0: oh well, thanks that was great now one part of that you mentioned you had this love and this passion for investing and even though your your major was completely different from that you were able to get into a a bank i think you said at, at the time mm-hmm. so can you Talk just talk about that. How you were able to do that, or was it just your uh, proactiveness and persistence, or what what got you what what got you that uh, opportunity?
1: Yeah, well, I tell you that when I say I worked at the bank, um, I, I don't. I think people would would kind of imagine my later career in a bank when I worked at a, you know a high rise and corner office. Mm-hmm. When I when I first got it was in college and I was working at Wells Fargo back in the in the mid to late nineties. They did this thing called in-store banking where you had bankers inside of grocery stores next to the pizza. That was me. <laughs> I, I started out uh at the lowest of the low working uh working commercial consumer banking uh in North Dallas. I'll never forget uh, I'm from Dallas, Texas, and and there was a football player named Babe Laufenberg and and I and I and I worked in his neighborhood and he would always come in and you know, treatment so well, but everybody, this was something new back then, like people were not used to banking inside of a grocery store. So people would come up to me and ask me about where's the bread or, you know, where's the milk and, you know, (laughs) At one point, you you memorize the store so that way you can be helpful and hopefully they'll they'll give you business and come Um, into the bank. But yeah, that that's how I got in. So I I started in the in the consumer banking side inside of a grocery store, did that grind, and again that that idea of storytelling and people building and networking did me so well that I was able to transition from from that into what's called uh, commercial banking or, or banking where you deal with large corporates. And I was able to go go into a program to learn more about banking and, and and left Texas to move to Las Vegas, dealing with and managing money for the casinos from a business account standpoint. Um, and then later left and, and moved to Los Angeles and then worked from Los Angeles and Chicago with Wells Fargo. So, so so I was very lucky um in in, in in the way that i was transitioned from the bank i think timing is is a lot of it too a lot of people don't say it but I, I i'm i say it all the time that i think there's a lot of luck in venture and and i had a lot of luck you know going where I, where I did and the people that i met um after being at wells i went into ubs investment bank um and that was a really interesting interesting transition and a timely transition because at the time that i did it it was during this thing that you and i probably you know you and i actually went through uh called the credit crisis uh, yeah that was during that <laughs> time I was at UBS and the reason that i did it yeah and the reason i was able to do it this was right before the credit crisis and it was at the time that they were packaging these home loans and so mm-hmm. a lot of these banks wanted to have people with lending experience coming to the investment banking side and so i'm, I'm a former banker uh did consumer lending with real estate did commercial lending and so had that knowledge and, and went to ubs not knowing the future. Uh, and I'll be honest, I think a lot of us went into it and not realizing the damage that was done. Um, right. But, we, you know, for me, it was, you know, going from commercial banking, this this guy who had no banking experience. This was right at right at the time I was getting my MBA. So it was a really great opportunity. But that lasted, I, I read up two years because the, the credit crisis came and wiped everything out. Yeah. And, and but I was I was lucky to go into uh, at that time, I finished finished my business degree. I was in the PhD program with Claremont and economics. And I ended up getting a job as an economist really early on with this, with this, uh, private equity fund. Mm. And again, you know, that, that, that idea, it, it made me think I was where I needed to be. Cause if you recall, I talked about Reginald F. Lewis being in private equity, that right. so my dream was kind of, kind of served, but I, I realized, you know, the type of businesses and the things that was there, it really didn't interest me. Uh, because it was very, the firm I worked at was was, was one of those vulture firms. So they were really yeah. into kind of taking companies that were almost doing well or they were on their last leg and, and really kind of picking it up and dropping it without any regards to the employees and sometimes we fire some of the employees. So I felt real kind of a certain way about it because I remember some of my family members in situations of companies like that. Mm-hmm. But, but what was interesting is that during that time, we get bonuses and know a lot of times people would get bonuses and they would buy cars or they would buy like you know expensive watches you know i I started thinking about investing in startup companies because i had friends who were saying here in california saying hey you know i'm gonna start a company and so that was kind of my first entrance into venture capital not really knowing it uh really into angel investing and 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 i guess this is a good time to explain the difference angel investing is when you invest with your own money um so at that time i was an angel and then uh, venture capital, like we said, is when you invest in other people's money. And so that was that was kind of the, my first interest into uh, alternative investing as an angel investor when I was chief economist there at, um, at the at the uh, private equity fund.
0: Nice, wow, it's a great story from Wells Fargo in the uh, grocery store to where you are now. Yeah. But, uh, but let me uh,
1: add, though, let me add, yeah. though, I think the other half of it, I think, is even more compelling. Um, so, you know, after the first few investments that fail when I when I did it, mm-hmm. um, I, I had this crazy idea. My, my spouse is an educator, so she's definitely not risk averse. But, I, you know, for me, risk was was exciting. I mean, I, I moved to Vegas. So how risky can you get? <laughs> but I, I had this crazy idea when I had this company and I believed in it so much that I actually quit my six figure job. And, and to work at a startup. And, I, you know, I didn't know what I was thinking. I, I thought, hey, you know, this is I hear you hear all the time about people doing this, that. Uh, but what they don't say is that if that company fails, you'll have a hard time getting back into your industry and get it back to work. Right. And, and uh, <laughs> when I left, you know, the company failed and I couldn't get back into into the, the industry Had a hard time. And, um, you know, what I ended up doing was I ended up working at a warehouse, a store called Zoomies. I worked in the warehouse uh, from like nine at night, like three in the morning. And the reason I did that, because in the daytime, I was working on another startup. And I was thinking, you know, if if I had another real job like I had before, I wouldn't have the time nor the mental capacity to really kind of devote to it. And so, you know, you have this person with this highly educated person working in a warehouse It was humbling. Um, It was it was eye opening, uh, but I think it was extremely beneficial because I learned a lot. It was a lot about hustle. And and what I also learned was that I spent my whole life around the same type of people around the same type of finance people. We kind of thought the same and everything else. And then working in a warehouse, you deal with different type of people, different Mm -hmm. backgrounds. And, and I think that also enabled me to be able to start having these stories. And again, if we talk about storytelling, enabled me to to have those experiences. Uh, luckily, during that, you know, I, I was only there a quarter, um, but luckily, one of the other companies I worked with got, a, got uh, some money. and you know I no longer had to do it. Uh, and so that was really interesting. And, and, and through the course of that, um, I had two companies that I was working with that got acquired. So that really kind of gave me a lot of, uh, uh, you know, opportunity to, 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 to be another type of investor and, and to rest on those experiences. And uh, I got recruited by the University of California to lead their accelerator. Remember, I mean, we talked about what accelerator was, you know, good for for startups. So I, I led the accelerator in Riverside, California, for about five years. And we lost a fund there, uh, one of the first funds outside of San Francisco, outside of L.A., uh, in in um, in uh, in Riverside, and, and if you're in Texas or if you're listening from a, from a comparative in Texas somewhere else, think of think of Riverside like uh, if you're in Houston, think of it like Conroe, mm-hmm. uh, or if you're in Dallas, think of it like you know Arlington. So Arlington in the 1980s, right? So so it was not a big city. Uh, it was majority Latino and Hispanic, but what I'm proud of is we made that that city. The number four place in the nation uh, by Entrepreneur Magazine to start a company if you are a minority. Wow. So you know, it, we we did a lot of work into it. Uh, most people know Riverside from the Coachella. That's where Coachella is located mm-hmm. at, and we made it to where we coordinated coordinated with Coachella. And then two years ago, after leading that, about two years ago, that's when I was recruited to go to the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator and uh, and focus there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well. And it reminds me of something I've I heard back, way back when I was interning, but that you don't succeed unless you take risks. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it's a perfect example of that.
1: You know? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I
1: never knew that was in me. You know, when, when the you know, my, my roommates would tell you what I when I decided to make the make the move from Texas to Vegas, I literally woke up on a Thursday and true story. There, there are two of my roommates. They thought I was crazy. I um, I was playing with some darts on a wall, and I said, you know where this dart is gonna land. That's why I'ma move. Wow. I threw it, and it landed in Vegas. Wow. Friday, and this was 1998. Yeah, 1998. Friday, I packed up my car. And I, I ended up driving to to Vegas. Um, and, and you know, this is pre for me, pre cell phones. So I, I waited until like, you know, I, I wait I got into Arizona to call around to see if there was an, some apartments available. Um, but I didn't really think about it. I, I just kind of figured out, hey, you know, what, whatever happens, happens. But, but I later realized that, you know, that's a bit of gumption, a bit of risk taking that sometimes you need as an entrepreneur. Right. Uh, sometimes you need as an investor. <laughs> Uh, and the key to that is being able to, to to take calculated risk.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's great seeing where you are now from that. So
1: awesome. So tell me something you love about what you do. You know what? I, what I I'll tell you this. So before I got into clean tech, I was just in traditional tech. You know, you know it it was apparel, wine, mobile. It was. You know, it was it was just really kind of being in, in the in the know, and I think now I get really excited because we're these founders that we're investing in and that we're incubating, they're creating companies that have value uh, for the human life, right? They're, they're building right. things that that really will will make our lives better and change us. Um, I give you a, you know a perfect example. I, I think you know, as African Americans, when we think about environmentalism, that that rarely comes up in our conversations. I think, you know, when you think about the terms climate change and environmentalism, in the past, they've they've been very homogeneous. But the the sad part about it is when we think about things like Flint, and when we think about things like where you have bad air quality, or you have people who have heart disease, or you have asthma, these are all impacts of climate change and environmentalism. So there there needs to be more of us uh, in this field uh, because, you know, even we see during this pandemic, um, the reason why there's a lot of, you know, everybody talks about the, um, you know, the the number of minorities that are being impacted more. But we're not talking about the underlying underlying reason, which is all these comorbidities that are charged by something else. So, right. you know, that's one of the things that I love is that is that the companies here are not just building things that take our time. They're building things to give us time, more time in life. Oh, that's great.
0: Now I know working with trying to raise funds at times and and selecting some of these companies at at times probably can be a little uh, challenging. So Mm -hmm. what are some challenges or that you
1: face or things that keep you up at night? Yeah, (laughs) ironically, this was tonight was yesterday was one of those nights. I stayed Mm. the whole night, you know, kind of thinking uh, my partners and I. uh, So so you know during during this time of COVID. Uh, you know, that changed a lot of things. Typically, you know, a lot of our business is done in person. You have face-to-face mm-hmm. meetings. You, you do things. Um, but this forced everyone to go online and, and think about right. things differently. Um, some partners and I decided to to launch another fund. Um, and, you know, we're in the process on it. We, we haven't mentioned that. So you, you got the exclusive. Nah, uh, all right. That's great. It, what, what's been keeping me up at night is really trying to make sure the type of investments we're going to make. Makes sense, because what happens is when you have a fund, you have what's called a thesis, right? And the thesis says, Mr. Investor, Mr. Or Mrs. Investor, this thesis is going to direct the type of investments that we're going to look for. So that way we're not just looking and wasting our time. And so, you know, as an example, right now, our thesis is what I just mentioned. Those three things, clean tech within renewable energy, transportation and circular economy. So, so, with the, so with this new fund, you know, we, we're really thinking through and I, what I've been really keeping been keeping me up at night is, you know, is this new thesis that we're thinking about is it valid? You know, will it work? Would it would it be valuable um, next year? So so you know, those are some of the examples I think not only me but other investors think about um, as well. Um, another thing that keeps people up at night and as challenging is that you know, right now in this environment that we're in. How is that going to change the way we do our business? How is that going to change the way that we find companies? How is that going to change the way that we we find people who would invest in us as funds? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a lot of uncertainty. And if you hear a lot in the markets, you've been in the markets and you, you of course, heard this before, uh, the markets don't like uncertainty and we as investors don't like uncertainty, uncertainty as well. So I think sometimes that, you know, I guess if a, if we're talking about just globally, uncertainty was, is what keeps me up at night.
0: OK, that makes
1: sense. A lot of sense.
0: Do you have a most memorable moment?
1: You know, I, I, I think I think um, I, I'll be honest, you know, I, I, I think the little wins are what matter to me. That I, I get excited when I see, you know, there's a lot of excitement when a company acquires you. There's a lot of different emotions that you go through that. Right. But I get excited when I see great founders work so hard on something, and they and and, and an investor comes, and they invest. Um, uh, because you know what what people tend to forget that, uh, investing is like a marriage. It, it's it's literally like you're you're dating, you're finding out, and then you're married, and you're you're stuck with that person. Uh, you know, until until a financial divorce, which is a happier than a traditional divorce. Uh, so I, I think that's really exciting to me, and I, and I'll be very specific. There's a company that I've been a, a, an advisor for, um, and they're they're called um, Shared Harvest Fund, and what they do, they're they're a bunch of three three female doctors, black female doctors that created this fund to help reduce student loans for for people like them. They went to medical school, had a, an enormous amount of loans, and they wanted to find a way to reduce some of these loans and work with corporations. So when COVID hit, they impacted a lot of things, them included, and they had to work a little bit harder But what they started seeing was that they wanted to start giving more tests to people of color. And this was early on, before the data came back, that a lot of people of color were being impacted. And so they pivoted what they were doing. And again, pivoted means you you change the idea, you change, you kind of redirect yourself. And they created another company called MyCovidMD, which did testing initially in Los Angeles and then expanded to Atlanta and, and New York, I believe, and other places. And uh, and, you know, they, they they did a lot of hard work and they were really doing it and just doing a lot of good work, uh, not to just make money, but to do good and, right. and have really great results. And, and the good thing about what we do is a lot of times if you do good and you have good results, the money will come and money will come to you. And so they got investment from NBA star Chris Paul. So that was that was a nice. very memorable moment, moment because it became a movie and it's and it's uh, a documentary rather. Oh. And it's it's out on uh, Amazon now. And wow. uh, so that was I think that was the most recent memorable moment because they deserved it. Uh, My COVID MD is the company. I love I love the way that they work and what they've been doing.
0: Ah, that's awesome. My COVID MD. OK. And
1: now what about are
0: there any products or ideas out there that just blew your mind or or you think any of the viewers will blow their minds? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got to remember, I'm in clean tech, so everything yeah. I'm focusing on is about is about the future of how we work and live. Right. Uh, you know, Rodolfo, have you ever driven in an electric vehicle?
0: I have. I have uh, a yeah. Tesla. Yes.
1: Yep. Yep. So, imagine that, but in an airplane. So we have a company in our incubator mm-hmm. and a company that we we work with uh, called Amp Air A M P A I R E, and they're building an airplane airplane that's a hybrid airplane utilizing battery. So imagine wow. an airplane taking off, uh, initially taking off with a little bit of jet fuel, but the tr- but the flight and the, and the landing is utilizing battery. Uh, so really interesting. A lot a lot of people you know would would get a little bit afraid of that but that's why i asked initially if you if you ever ridden in uh oh yeah in, in so, an electric vehicle yeah. uh yeah. it's nothing yeah. to be afraid of i think a lot of people are afraid of uh what's called uh range anxiety meaning that you'll run out of battery but i think mm-hmm. battery technology and everything else is changing and understanding that the reason why that's so important to me and, and why i think the audience should know is that uh, a few months ago pre-covid uh, what people don't know is Airplanes get to a certain altitude, and they drop fuel before they land. Right. Oh, yeah. And here in California, in, in one of the poor neighborhoods, one of these flights from Delta, it dropped fuel so low that it sprinkled children at a school. Oh, man. So these children had jet fuel all on them oh. uh, from a plane who, who, who inadvertently did it, you know, at the wrong altitude. And so if you think about things like that, and it was a horrible experience for them, you know, electric planes would 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 not have that issue, and furthermore, electric planes wouldn't have the noise pollution that a lot of people who, if you live next to a, um, a an airport, uh, that you get as a as it. So I, I think that company Amp Air is like one of one of the more exciting companies. Yeah. Uh, some of the companies okay. we deal with are are really interesting from a standpoint of there are the little things that you don't think about, and so there's another company called M that's essentially making electricity by attaching this device to pipe wow that's another example
0: mm. all right well the, <laughs> i knew you would be around some very uh, forward-thinking companies and people so that's uh that's interesting yep. look into that so all right so getting to the end of this want to ask you some other fun questions to let people just learn a little bit about you but before we get there is there anything you think that i'm uh missing or anything else you think people should know
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mm-hmm. I I think that you know, a lot of people glamorize venture. Um, it it is it, it, it and entrepreneurship. People will see Mark Zuckerberg and mm-hmm. and all these others. And and what people don't see is the process that it took to get them there. Uh, some entrepreneurs, and, and it's very difficult. But that's not discouraging. But I think that's what people should realize. And I gave my own story about how I had to take a great risk. And mind you, when I, when I did uh, work at the warehouse, I was a father of two kids. And so I, I think that, you know, that's one of the things I think the audience needs to, need, need to realize that there are a lot of jobs out there a lot of opportunities learn about all of them i'm sure you have a lot of different people on the show and and i think all of those things come together to make a great economy and i think that's the thing that people need to understand is that there's so many different opportunities and whether you're in your venture, whether you're in municipal banking whether you're in real estate you know all those things help to to build an economy and build wealth nice
0: Great. Thank you. All right. So let's do these quick hitter questions for you.
1: All righty, Let's go.
0: All right. So first one, what's your favorite sports team?
1: (laughs) That's a dangerous question. (laughs) I'm from Texas. So, of course, I live and breathe the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. But I live in Los Angeles. And so there would have to be two, the, the Lakers, of course, and the Cowboys.
0: Okay. Lakers and Cowboys. All right. What about favorite movie or show?
1: Favorite movie? Uh, if you remember, I said I was a poetry major. I, yep. I I, 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 you know, I'm a sucker for 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 films like Love Jones. I'm a I'm a yeah. huge fan of that. Uh, that was around the same time I was graduating from college, so that it's kind of stuck. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That was a classic. All right. Favorite uh, favorite musical artist
1: or group? <laughs> so so favorite music, musical artist. I'm from the south. Uh, the dirty mm-hmm. south so definitely i'm a huge fan of andre 3000. Uh ah, yeah so i definitely had to put him on, on that pedestal
0: mhm one of the best favorite uh, vacation spot
1: yeah you know um uh, one one there's there's this um there's this little island in the caribbean called saint martin and it's mm-hmm. split between french and dutch Fantastic. The reason I love it so much is because you can have a French cuisine in, what, in literally 30 minutes and go 30 minutes right across the, the, the border and have Dutch cuisine. Love oh, it. Nice.
0: Uh, all right. And last one, favorite food or drink?
1: Favorite food or drink. You know, um, I, again, you know, I, I've, I've been in California since since 98. So I missed a lot of the, the flavors of Texas. Uh, so i would definitely have to say barbecue is, is one of my favorites well specific oh, yeah. texas type where they put the barbecue inside of a potato a baked potato love oh, yes, i love yeah. it i miss it i haven't <laughs> had it in years uh i think favorite favorite drink i, I don't drink anymore i used to drink alcohol I don't drink anymore but i'm I'm gonna I'm take it back with, with a with a with a soda uh that's old school called big red so i'll put that oh well. yeah all right
0: well thanks tosh this was a great conversation and a very informative. So, want to thank you, and also, most people realize the importance of clean energy. So, I, I really want to applaud you for the work that you do for these companies. So, thanks on that as well. Yeah, and, no, no problem, no problem. Yep, yep. And uh, you know, with that, is there any way that uh, people can get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 number one, thank you for for inviting me on the show and, and talking about you know the things I do on a daily basis, uh, at at the CleanTech Incubator, but yeah, I, I'm I'm very active on social media. That's probably the best way to reach me. Uh, you can you can follow me and connect with me on LinkedIn uh, under my full name of Taj Ahmad Eldridge, and then also too, I typically do a lot of postings on articles and things in venture and CleanTech and diversity on Twitter. And my handle there is at Akano Ahmad. That's E-C-O-N-O-A-H-M-A-D. Great. All right. Well, like I said, appreciate it.
0: Appreciate all the work you do. And thank you for uh, doing this podcast.
1: Great. No problem. Everyone have a great day.
0: All right. You too. Bye. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.